All right, everybody, welcome to episode 52 of Tunes Mate. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And Ray, this week we had an opportunity to catch up with Chris Haddix. And Chris is interesting. He, once again, came recommended from Mike Farley and had a fascinating interview with him. He started talking about how his first song he ever wrote was in second grade, actually said the lyrics, and then started getting into that. He says, well, you know, I am 61 years old, and this is my first record, so it's self-titled. And he talked about a story how he went, he was going to a class reunion, and then he decided to stop into this music contest, and he got the ear of a producer, and then a year later, he went back to the same music venue, and the producer approached him and said, hey, I to get your music down. So it just started me thinking, it's like, you know, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to, you know, go after your dreams. Yeah, I think that's a, a, you know, a really good takeaway from this. The idea, you know, here's this guy, he's, you know, he's written music, he studies music, you know, he's a professor who looks at both music traditions at West Virginia University. And so he's, he's into this stuff. And that idea that, yeah, you know, you can be you can be 61 years old and and have had an, an affection for this stuff and an interest in this stuff. And, and it is just like you said, it's really never too late to get going on this. It's never too late to, to put out an album, to, to follow your passions and, you know, and do it. Yeah. I mean, he even talked about, you know, he, he, after, I think he said he quit school and he went down to Nashville in his early days and he really wanted to break out as a star. And he know there's a lot of other, or, you know, a songwriter, and he has a lot of other friends that were able to move becoming professional songwriters. And now this is a chance. So he wrote all the songs. He said he, his process is, you know, he writes all the time and he would send them over to his producer. And he actually did go into a recording studio, but he didn't have to travel all the way down to Nashville. He went somewhere local and then crafted everything, you know, right in his own backyard, which I think is unique. And listening to the music, I really was taken back by a few of the tracks. I know he told the story of a couple in the podcast, which I'm really excited to share with everyone here today. And just, I really liked the way some of these tracks came together. And I think everyone, if you are looking for some new music, which we're always trying to on Tunes Mate, entice some people to try some new music. I think once this album comes out, I think you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, I think it's got a really nice feel. It, it brings together a lot of the musical genres that I think he's, you know, again, he, he studies that sort of folk music and it brings together those genres. It, there's times where it feels very bluegrassy, uh, times it feels bluesy. It, it certainly has country feel to it. Um, and it, it has folk rock kind of elements to it or certainly folk in general elements to it. And so I think you the bluegrass really comes through to me and the, the folk. And so I think that he captures when I listen to the I listened to all the tracks on, uh, that are coming out on this and it, you listen to this it really captures the feel of that I, you know I don't necessarily think of any particular artist that it it connects me to rather when I listen to this I say yeah that's the feel of that he, on his his website he talks about a county fair and he, you know that's exactly this idea the sort of old county fair you know, that, that Appalachian area, he's again in West Virginia and it very much feels like that. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's jump over to the interview. We'll catch up with Chris and then we'll come on back. 
All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Tunes Mate, and I have the honor and privilege to have with me here today, Chris Haddix. Chris, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing fine, Mark. How are you, buddy? Oh, pretty good. It's good, good to connect with you. Heard so much about you and your music. Mike Farley, once again, always connecting us to some great new artists. And I had an opportunity to listen to your, your new album, and I'd love to dive into it, find out how you got into this whole crazy music industry yeah. <laughs> and what drives you as an artist. So let's, let's just take a step back. And sure. so is it true that you wrote your first, is it a song lyric in second grade? The first one I can remember. Yeah. And I remember snippets of it and I remember <laughs> stealing the idea from a classmate. So, you know, I got on the right path early, find a good idea and make it your own. So, and then from there, you just were a bit with the bug because according to your bio, you went to Nashville? I did, yeah. I kept I kept writing songs, and I wasn't really performing them or anything. And then in college, I got more heavily into music. And, uh, and then my third year of college, well, my fourth year of college, excuse me, I decided I needed to leave and go to Nashville and kind of explore the music industry. And so I did that. And did that several occasions. I would go down there and then leave and come back up this way, West Virginia, and go back down there for, you know, a, a few months and come back up here and go back down there. <laughs> so it was, I think I was down there three different, three different stints over a couple of years, just working, working whatever jobs I could do to pay the rent and just trying to meet people mm -hmm. in the music world and figure out what that was all about. So, so we flash forward. And now you have, is, is this your debut CD? It is. Album? Yes, it is. I mean, I've, I've performed on other people's works and had a few of my original songs show up on some other things, some compilations and just you know, kind of one-off projects up this way. Uh, but this is the first time that, you know, we really sat down with a concentrated effort to just do a whole album of, of my original stuff. And um, wow. At 60, at 61, you know, so never, never too late, I suppose. And how did it happen? I mean, you, so you start, you, you write songs and, and then you land a record deal. I mean, there, there had to be some other pieces in between there. Yeah, there were, there were a lot of pieces. So I, I, I wrote probably about five years ago, I really started getting serious about getting out. I mean, I just wanted to be a songwriter. When I was in Nashville, I had no desire to be a performer. I just wanted famous musicians to come to me for songs. You know, that's, that's what I was dreaming of. And, uh, I never thought of myself as a very good singer or anything like that. And I just wanted to be the guy that wrote, you know, George Jones's last hit or something. Mm -hmm. So about, I don't know, five or six years ago, I really got serious about just starting to play out more, more deliberate. We had some writer's nights here in town and I would go out and just you know, I'm just going to go play my original music. I play old time music. So I was playing square dances and, you know, background music stuff for a long time, but just really want to start performing my own material and got, uh, got a little band together and they, they agreed and learned all my stuff and I'd play solo or go out with them. And I just happened to be at a, a little writer's night down in Charleston, West Virginia one night on the way to my 40th high school reunion. And my producer now, Ron Soul, happened to be in the crowd. And uh, he approached me after the show and he just said he really liked what he'd heard and he wanted to invite me to another event the following year, 
literally about a year to the day from that one that he does. And I went to that and, you know, it, it turned out well. And he asked me why I didn't bring any albums to, to sell, you know, how come you didn't bring any merch? And I'm like, I don't have any merch to sell. I don't have any albums. <laughs> and he basically said, well, you know, we're going to change that. So that's, that's how it came about. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of songs on here and, you know, I've, I've gone through a bunch of them and I don't, there's just so many that stand out to me, Chris. I just don't know where to start. <laughs> I mean, oh, was, was, was there one song on here that is probably the earliest one that you ever wrote? Gosh, you know, the last song on the album is called A Soul Can't Rest in Peace Beside the Four Lane. That's, that's got the oldest lines in it. I literally started that song when I was a teenager. I had this idea. And uh, I just wrote about that and actually posted on my music blog, kind of the genesis behind that song. Anyway, I carried these lines with me for decades. I think it's been about 35 years and just could never complete it. You know, it just never would fully form. And then um, I picked up a different instrument one day and started playing around with it. And all of a sudden it all came flowing out. So that's, that's probably the oldest pieces. You know, I think the ones there's three on there that got Ron's attention, uh, Sunday morning stoplight, uh, Kalashnikov, and uh, well, I think a soul, a soul can't rest in peace. I think those are the three I played the night that Ron was in the house for the uh, writer's night. Wow, so some history there. And the one that made me smile, and I, I just, I love instrumentals. Tree Frog. Yeah, that had a that had a really cool melody to it, and it just struck me. What's, oh, what's the story behind that one? Literally, I was, I had just kind of come up with that tune. I was just noodling around on the banjo and my son is out in Utah in college and he's a big rock climber. And he just called me one evening and he was all excited because he'd found a new boulder up in this canyon near where he goes to school and didn't think anybody had climbed it. It was pretty remote and no trails to it or anything. And he'd put up a new route. So when you, when you put up a new route in climbing, you get to name it. It's kind of the you know, the uh, convention and he, he had named it tree frog and I happened to be sitting there picking this tune and thought, well, that's a good name for this tune. I'll call it tree frog. So, and that's how that came about. And it's very different. I mean, Ron, Ron's production of it is, uh, it, it sounds to me kind of like a spaghetti Western, uh, you know, theme song. And when I played it back for my son, the album, He's like, man, I feel like I'm riding out in the desert for a duel. You know, it's just got this cool uh, vibe. There's a little, you know, a little tension in there, and uh, I could see Clint Eastwood uh, galloping along to this thing. So, kind of interesting. That's awesome. So it sounds like yourself and Ron really had a vision, and it sounds like Ron really can see the big picture of everything on this album, and, and really had a big imprint. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean. You know, I've recorded a lot of songs of my own and said just for one-off projects and just going in the studio and trying to record little demos with the idea of someday recording an album, but I just never could, you know, maintain the energy to do it. And had I gone in there and done this album, we would have had probably a different selection of songs and we would have had a bunch of songs that I think are good, but all kind of sounded the same sonically, instrumentation-wise. And, you know, Ron really... It's the first time I'd really had anybody else hear my songs and think, here's how I'm hearing that. And so 
he had a great vision and, you know, we, we had back and forths and we had some pretty heavy discussions on some things about arrangements. But at the end of the day, he was, he was the driving force behind it all. I mean, it wouldn't have happened if he hadn't have shown up. There's no doubt about that. That's amazing. And, you know, I know there's a lot of artists out there that are thinking, you know, I, I've got music. How do I move to the next level? It does sound, though, that partnership between a really good music producer seems to be a key, at least in your situation. Oh, in my situation. Yeah, most most definitely. And uh, again, the, you know, I, he wanted me to send him after that show. He said, well, you know, just go home and turn on your phone and just you and your guitar, just send me some more stuff. He, he had no idea if I had two more songs or a hundred more songs. And so I just, I'd send him a couple at a time and he'd email me back and say, okay, send me a few more. And I, so we did that back and forth. I probably sent him 25 songs or something. And then he, you know, that's when he decided, he said, Hey, we need to do an album and I'm going to pick the songs and I'm going to do the arrangements and I'm going to pick the musicians and, and, uh, that's how it's going to go and it's going to be good. And so he did that. And, you know, I would be lying if I wasn't (laughs) really nervous after the first round of recording (laughs) and I had never played with drums before. And we got the first batch of just basic tracks back and I was, I called him in a panic. I'm like, Ron, man, I don't know about this. <laughs> this is a lot of noise in here. I'm not used to hearing all this. And he just said, well, just trust me, just stick with me, you know, and let's, uh, let's get through it and, and we'll assess when we're done. And that's, that's what happened. And, you know, I, I listened to it. I mean, what strikes me about it is just the variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, you know, I like to talk about your own stuff, but just sonically, I think it's a really nice listen. I think it takes you to a bunch of different places and it's not just the, the same feel and same vibe song after song after song. I think it's really varied. And, and those are the comments that people you know, tend to, to give me. It's like, wow, it's just, it's a really interesting listen. It keeps my attention. It's kind of long, you know, he was a little concerned about the length of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, well, you know, your first album, let's just do it. We'll make it longer. And he was worried about people kind of losing attention, you know, and not getting through to the end of it. But it seems like it keeps folks' attention pretty well. Oh, yeah, there's definitely a good variety. And I could tell the the craftsmanship in, in how the, the tracks were selected. And you talked earlier that you had to send, you know, Ron, a, a bunch of songs. What is your songwriting process? Are you more or less like very disciplined where you're going to write, you're going to sit down, you're going to write some songs, or are you more like kind of spur of the moment where something hits you and you've got a race to you know, get it recorded down? Or is it kind of a hybrid? It's a hybrid. I mean, I, I try to be very deliberate about writing. Um, I mean, I'm always, I think I'm like all writers. I mean, everything we see spurs some kind of idea. You know, I, I think most writers are like that. Um, I tend, melodies and lyrics tend to come at the same time for me. I'll usually, I'll usually just have a line, you know, I'll see something and I'll make a line about it. And then I kind of go from there. I, sometimes I have an idea for where I want a song to go. And other times it's just, Hey, here's a line. You know, what can I, what can I do with that? So, and I, and one thing I realized about myself is I'll write something and I'm often thinking it's going to be the verse. And I realize, you know, that's probably a better course. And 
I, I do that a lot. I'll come up with this and I'll start trying to make a verse out of it. And then I realize, whoa, that's that's probably the course. So <laughs> let me get that in. I'm not real good about coming up with hook lines. And uh, my neighbor, when I was a kid, the neighbor across the street from me, uh, had some commercial success as a songwriter in Nashville. And I didn't know that till my dad took me over there. And uh, you know, when I was 12, we went up on his porch and I played this song I wrote. And he said, all right, here's how it works. You got two and a half minutes. You got about 10 seconds to hook me into this song with, with the hook. You know, he wow. just spelled it out. And so I don't really feel like I've got that kind of Nashville two and a half minute song thing. But I do try to find a, a hook now. And it's probably the hardest thing for me is to, I can write verses all day long, but to come up with a really, and I think I'm pretty good at bridges. Courses tend to are a challenge for me. Yeah, that's fascinating. And that's interesting that over your career, you've discovered you know, yourself, like you said, and, and how to maneuver that. Because I think a lot of artists struggle with just trying to figure out yeah. themselves. And I could definitely see in this album that you've done that you've, it's a pretty good reflection. And I, I had some quite, cause I saw, you know, on your bio, you've done Habitat mm -hmm. for Humanity. You're also a professor. And I started looking through these songs saying, when do these come out from Habitat from Humanity? Cause I saw like, Oh, this river. And I saw some other songs and I was wondering if these came out of some of those real life yeah. experiences. Um, I mean, all this river, you know, that was, I was down in Southern West Virginia back in 2016 and we had some really bad flooding and I was down as part of a, just a relief effort. You know, a lot of people were going down there to help flood recovery, but I was asked along with another friend to go just play music. There's a, there's enough people with shovels and hauling stuff and cleaning stuff up. And they just, you know, could you just go sit in the food tent and just play some music and sing and see if anybody wants to just get their minds off of the flood for a while. So I was talking to a woman um, who was sitting there at, at one of the tables in this big food tent. And uh, she had been there her whole life and she was just kind of staring off and looked, looked like she was in shock, really. She was just had this blank stare on her face. And I just went over and sat down and talked with her. And, and she basically had just kind of had this sense of resignation that she's, you know, I've done this so many times, how many floods have I cleaned up after and I'm just, I can't do this anymore. You know, and, and so I don't know the habitat for humanity part. It, it probably all plays in there. I mean, just, there's a lot of stories um, when you're working with folks in, in different situations and habitat certainly throws you into a lot of, uh, a lot of different situations. So, and I was raised, I mean, my, my dad was always, just compassionate folks. And so I, I guess maybe I picked that up and try to tell people's stories um, that maybe they can't, you know, tell themselves a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I think you can, you can see that in the song. And what's fascinating to me is you also are a professor and you use music as a way to engage. And I remember we were joking because we were going back and forth with, you know, what does West Virginia right. mean to you? And you're like, well, wait a minute. I, I have a song yeah. with that title. <laughs> it's fascinating how all these things just kind sure. of crisscross. Yeah. I, so one of the things I do in my, in my work life is I, I'm a, I'm an amateur musicologist. So I try to find, uh, especially in Southern West Virginia, these 
people who were recorded on field recordings back in the 40s. There's a big collection of field recordings up here, but nobody really knew that much about the people behind the recordings. And so I'm trying to kind of build stories about, well, who was that person that, you know, that recorded those 15 songs or those sometimes 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 songs. And just to help people, you know, realize that, wow, you know, that woman was my neighbor or, you know, she was my grandma's friend. I had no idea she sang all these old songs and stuff. So that's part of it. And then I use music to help communities uh, and, and groups tell their stories. So a lot of folks want to, hey, you know, we want to we want a song about our experiences. And so I, I work with them through this little songwriting methodology I've developed. And, and, uh, and we use this song that I came up with my kids, What Does West Virginia Mean to Me? And then they, it's kind of a call and response. So it's a musical question and then there's a musical response. So we'll start with just writing down ideas about what they like and don't like about their communities or what they, you know, appreciate or wish they could change. And then we'll get a bunch of ideas and we'll talk about those. And then we'll start trying to generate some rhyming themes out of those. And so I'll be like at a 4-H camp, for example, and working with a bunch of kids and they just, they come up with the most wonderful things and we rhyme them and they have a blast and they sing them to their friends at the, you know, at the talent show at the end of the camp week. And, but I work with older people too. There's a community here in Morgantown and gosh, probably the youngest person in that group is 80, you know, and they want stories about their communities and they have all these experiences to share. So that's pretty, that's a pretty fun, pretty fun thing to do. Yeah, definitely. You know, you're, you're pro- you're learning. You're writing songs as you go. You know, if it's call and response, you're probably getting a lot of interesting responses back. Oh, and, for for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm imagining you're you've got a you're going to be hitting out on the road touring as well. Well, you know, as as I can. I mean, I I do have a full time job, and uh, right. you know, I, I do go out and gig. I don't do. I'm not a you know a barroom circuit kind of gig guy. I'm, I'm much more uh, happy playing small venues and listening mm-hmm. rooms and, you know, house shows and those kinds of things or, you know, small little festivals here and there. So hopefully those, you know, there will be more opportunities for that. Um, I can certainly, certainly do those within striking distance of Morgantown. I probably won't be going out for, you know, extended tours uh, or anything like that for a while. Maybe when I'm retired in a few years, knock on wood, I can, you know, set, setting, setting up uh, something bigger down the road. Yeah, well, no, that's that's exciting. Something to look forward to, and I know, obviously, you your album is going to be coming out here in March sometime. Yeah, March twenty fifth. March twenty fifth, and mm-hmm. what's the first single is? So the first single dropped last month, and that was mm-hmm. called "Says You, Says Who, Says Me." It's the first track on the album, and then uh, this coming Friday on February eighteenth, uh, "A Soul Can't Rest in Peace." Beside the four lane comes out. And then uh, March 18th, I believe we're dropping Life Without Me. And then on the 25th is the full the full album. Things to look forward to. That's exciting. And, and people can yeah. find out more at your your website? Go to the website. It's chrishaddocksmusic.com. And, and uh, there's all, all the information you need, I believe. And there's links to my, to my band camp site if you want to hear some music. Uh, of course, the new single is out on, I haven't checked all the platforms, but, you know, in, in theory, it's out there. So. 
Yeah. And I meant to ask you, you know, so, you know, you've got all this music out here. What musicians influenced you was, I mean, you talked about you wanted to write that song, you know, for when you went down to Nashville. Yeah. Was it a combination of all those, I guess, artists that you were clamoring for? It was everything. Yeah. I just, I mean, you know, as a kid, my dad sang and my uncle was a great guitar player and singer and I didn't get to spend enough time around him. Um, but so my, they were always singing show tunes and old blues and swing tunes. And my uncle had this just super rich baritone voice and he would you know, just sing whatever and really good kind of blues guitar player. Um, and then, you know, when I got into college, I really got into, I discovered Norman Blake and Tony Rice and kind of that bluegrass feel. I love the traditional bluegrass. When I got, what made me leave college was discovering the Delmore brothers. I picked up this album in Columbus, Ohio, these guys from, you know, I think the recordings were 1928 to 33, something like that. And it just blew me away, the singing and playing and this old country blues stuff. And then I just, I was always buying records. That was kind of my, when I was in college, every Friday, you know, we still had little local music stores back then. And I would go down to to John Marshall Records in Morgantown and and buy a, buy an album. That was kind of my reward for studying hard all week and doing well in school is I'd go buy an album every Friday and I would just buy, you know, all kinds of different things. So I always wanted Don Williams to sing one of my songs. I just appreciated good songs. You know, George Jones, Merle Haggard. I mean, the bar was pretty high. I never, I never was able to make any of that happen. <laughs> that was my, that was what I was shooting for. No, that's, that's amazing. So yeah, you, you definitely have had, an, you know, been influenced and Hey, you know, your music's out there now, who knows who you'll influence, you know, the, the, yeah, the next yeah, round of maybe. folks that are coming out. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe. exciting. Well, it's been awesome catching up with you. I feel like we can talk on so many things. Definitely have to have you come back and talk about some of your Nashville stories. I know you've got a couple underneath your sleeve and checking with you about how the album is doing and just just get to know you more chris because i really think you just have such a inspiration to everyone out there that like you said you've been writing for so long and now you get a chance to get out there and share your music with everybody in a, a very kind of holistic way which is very exciting and inspirational oh thank you yeah it is i mean i feel really fortunate to yeah, doing something I love to do and to be doing it regardless, but to kind of have it uh, after all these years of uh, thinking about it to, to have something happen with it. That's a little bit bigger than anything I would have done by myself is, is pretty neat. Yeah. Well, I've totally enjoying it. And when the album comes out, I recommend everyone that's listening to the podcast to go out and check out Chris's debut album. And there's, like you said, there's a lot on there kind of going, you know, shifting modes every once in a while as you're, you're going through the album and it really paints a really nice picture. So appreciate you having you on the podcast. All right. Thanks, Mark. I really, I really appreciate you taking time to chat with me. I, I will I have to plug. I've, I've been fortunate to be asked to be on Mountain Stage on March 27th. I'm not sure when that show will air, but that's that I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be that'll be fun times. So. Yeah, no, definitely. More people can just check out your music. I think they'll put a little smile on their face. All righty. Well, I hope so. Thanks again. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it. 
You're welcome. All right, welcome back from the interview. Hope you enjoyed it. Ray, it was fascinating. We dived into a couple of the songs, and I know the instrumental stuck out to you. I really thought when that song came on, I I, I think I repeated it like four or five times. I always have a, a weakness for instrumentals. Yeah, uh, it really stuck out to me when I listened to, to the songs. It had a uh, cool feel. I kind of went into it thinking, okay, you know, I saw the title and thought, oh, this might be interesting. It might be trying to sound like a tree frog or something like that. And then when it turned out to be an instrumental, it sort of felt right. And, and so it stuck out to me as kind of a, a fun feel. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how, you know, once again, another record recorded during the pandemic time, but a lot of these songs Chris had for many years and was really just grafted together in a way that tells a story. And we talk a lot about that on Teens Mate, how albums tell stories and how they really can convey a time in a period. But this record isn't reflecting everything that happened in the last couple of years. It's really a reflection of Chris's life, which to me, once again, I always found fascinating. And he said that the stories that were written here were about other people along the way of his life. And to me, that's also interesting is you know, him interpreting the world around it. Yeah, I, I really, I caught a lot of that in this. It's it's telling, it's a style that's very significant throughout folk music, throughout country music for that matter, and throughout folk rock. And even there are certain crossover or even pop artists who have kind of done this thing where they have songs that tell various tales of various people they've met. And um, I think of, Remember uh, 30 years ago, Mark Cohn did, did a lot of this kind of stuff. Even uh, thinking of like, well, 25 to 30 years ago, Hootie and the Blowfish, there were elements of that in the, their music or even different styles. You would see this. You remember Arrested Development, remember Mr. Wendell, right? You know, the, you know there's, a, there's a long tradition of songwriting where we, and especially in folk songwriting, where you want to tell stories and perhaps the greatest master of this in all of uh, popular music history was, I would say is Johnny Cash. I mean, a lot of, you know, Johnny Cash's, uh, Johnny Cash was a storyteller and his medium was music. And so many of his songs, while some of his songs were about him, many of them were also telling stories of other people. And sometimes they were very literal in doing so. And other times they were more metaphorical in doing so. And I very much captured this vibe from this. This was like, okay, I'm hearing various stories of Appalachia in what uh, Chris is doing here. And that's very much the feel of the genres that he's working in. Yeah. And it just, when you started rattling off all those other artists, I started thinking, oh yeah, I haven't heard those <laughs> songs in a while. I want to bring them back again. Cause he really had some interesting stories. He said on tap about his Nashville times and, I think as he continues to tour and get out there, I think it's I think he's going to have some more stories. But I'm really enjoying what we've been doing at Tunes Made again. Of course, we're always giving you the daily '80s fix. You had a conundrum uh, recently with picking the birthday of the week. I've also I'm I'm continually enjoying that, and I've also enjoyed some of these deep cuts you've been putting out there with these uh, 1980s hits where there are these songs and you're like, I like this. I don't know why. And it's, it's, uh, they, they really do help uh, put a little skip in the step when you, you put it on uh, daily. Yeah. Uh, I've been really enjoying doing the daily eighties flashbacks 
you know, when I got that started, I mean, it's been, well, I think almost seven years now since I started the daily eighties flashbacks. And, you know, when I got started, I said, I, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to do hits and, you know, and I, I kind of mix it up a bit and a lot of it would be, well, actually it's been almost eight years, sorry, almost eight years since I started it. And I would, I put in some hits and then I'd go down the chart a bit. And a lot of it was really based on the hot 100, but I knew the whole time, you know, if, if this keeps going, I'm going to have to expand beyond songs that peaked on the hot 100. And we're really hitting that time period where I'll have or years where, okay, there's nothing left here that peaked on the hot 100 this year. And so now I'm expanding beyond that into the other charts more uh, into things that even didn't get released as a single and I'm trying to vary it up as I go. Um, one of the, you, you kind of talked about, you hear this stuff and you're like, wow, I didn't know that. I recently had one uh, by Orbit called The Beat Goes On that really kind of, if I had heard that before, I didn't remember it. And and it was a hit on the R&B chart. And I was really digging that when I put that up and, and listening to it. And that's one of the fun parts about this. And of course, the whole thing with Tunes Made in general is that this is a chance to re-listen to old music that you've already heard before. Uh, but also to to find new music and find new and interesting things. And and really, it's kind of a journey where I get to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm looking at three songs right now that you recently put up there. Ray yeah. Parker Jr., I Still Can't Get Over yep. Loving You. I definitely, I remember when he was in radio. I remember some of those songs, but I, I never heard that one. And I listened to that three or four times. And then the Deanne Warwick, yep. Deja Vu, I was like, oh, this, what is this? Like, I, I don't remember that one. And then Eugene yep. Wilde, I was like, what is this? Okay, I listened to it. It, it kind of started off a little strange. <laughs> and then I ended up listening to it like four times in a row. And it only went to number 83. Yeah. It's kind of a funky tune. So some of these songs just, once again, the whole goal of Tunes Made is to have you look back and go, wait a minute, I like that song. Why Why do they always play that same song over and over and over? Like if you said Dionne Warwick, what song comes to mind? Um, do you know the way to San Jose or, you know, but they never, they never played no, deja nope. vu. <laughs> I know I'll never love this way again. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. I always think that that's what friends are for and her psychic yep. friends hotline. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, that's exactly or Ray Parker jr. Right. What's the first one that comes to mind? Of course. Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah. Right. You know, and if you think of any other one beyond that, maybe, you know, the other woman or Jamie or something, right. right. You know, but, but I still can't get over loving you. That may be my favorite Ray Parker Jr. song. I mean, it's and I had his greatest yeah. hits back in the day, 30, 40, well, 40 years ago. And the other one that really struck me recently was uh, I did the Everything in My Heart by Corey Hart, which was barely a top 40. I think it went to 30. But, you know, it's not one. I mean, how often do you hear that? You hear like Never Surrender and Sunglasses at Night all the time. Yeah, they never play that one. No, they never play. But it's a good song. It's a top 40 hit. And, yep. Oh, and here's, here's another one you did recently, too. Steve Winwood holding on. I was like, oh, oh yeah, 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 I remember. I roll with it, you know, all the yep. songs. Wait a minute. That song actually charted rather high. Yeah, went to number 11, spring of 1980. I do late, not remember that song, right? I, I was in that decade. I do not remember this song. <laughs> I do not remember it at all. Was it because just roll with it was the only thing that you could remember? No, well, you know, it's funny because I actually have a specific memory of that song playing on the radio while I pulled up to the hardware store in my hometown. Hmm. This would have been, you know, back at junior in high school. And I remember like, uh, you know, I was only driving for a couple months at that point. And, and I, I literally remember pulling up to the, the hardware store in my hometown 
and that song was on the radio. And it's it's funny how you, you don't even remember it. And I've got this vivid memory of, and it was the third of three top ten hit. Top, I'm sorry, top forty hits, top twenty hits off of that album. I am a um, huge fan of Steve Winwood. I mean, all of his, I mean, everything. I mean, I could just name like fifteen songs right now, off the top of my head. This would yep. not be one. <laughs> so. I, uh, I appreciate, I really appreciate these. And I think as a listener, definitely tune into these. I mean, even the, 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 it happened 50 years ago with Betty Wright. I was like, clean up woman. I was like, what's this song? I listened yep. to that like 10 times. I was like, okay, I really like this. I could see why it charted high. I mean, it was a top 10 hit. Yeah. That's the, again, that's the fun of tunes, mate, right? We do this kind of stuff and we, we, I, you know, a lot of this is memories of stuff. Even the Saturday morning cartoons, I've been having some memories. The gem one from you know that I just did recently, I was like, "Whoa, that's a flashback!" Right. And and yeah, that's you know again, it's the fun of finding stuff, remembering stuff, a little bit of both, a little bit of all, and uh, and putting it all together and just showing the, the the love of music. There's one that I was like, okay, I could see that why it went to number sixty, and that was Leaf Garrett, "Memorize Your Number." <laughs> there wasn't much there. I could see how he's riding his his popularity of. Uh, or was I was made for dancing? Yeah, yeah. This was yeah. As he was starting to, that you know, he he wasn't a teen anymore, and that teen idol stuff was fading out. And mm-hmm. he was yep. I like I like Leaf Carrot. I just the song wasn't yeah. as memorable, but it was cool to go back and say, look at that. I mean, I even just watching the memory of him being on a TV show where you're like, he's definitely lip syncing and he's doing <laughs> the best he can. But that's that's what you did on those shows. Yep. Yeah, it's funny to watch the videos of those because you know they they very much presented it as if it was live and it was it was recorded and right. you you know it was just they're they're playing the record and they were lip syncing it to the the dance audience whatever they had in the studio there. Yep, it was definitely a style back then. Well, we appreciate listening to Tunes Made. Really enjoyed having Chris Haddix on the podcast this week, telling his story. And we've got some more interviews coming up around the corner. Some more topics that we are working on. We appreciate you listening to the podcast, subscribing, and also following the blog. So for everyone here at Tunesmate, I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And we will see you next time.